0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On Air with the Chair. I'm your MEC Chairman, Captain Adam Spurrier, and I'm joined here today with Communications Committee Chairman, Captain Derek Lagasse.
1: Hello, everyone. How are you doing today, Adam? Doing well, Derek.
0: Thanks for asking.
1: Well, Adam, what's been new at Endeavor over the past several months? Uh, last time we talked in March, we were talking about involuntary upgrades, and a lot's happened since then.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Derek. Since Peter and I sat down in March to talk about the involuntary upgrades TA, which later became LOA 137, there's been a lot going on at Endeavor's, several smaller topics that we hadn't had a chance to put down in a one podcast yet. And while you were in the office this week working on a couple other podcasts,
1: it seemed like this would be a good time to get our next On Air with the Chair episode out. Yeah, Adam, can you tell me a little bit more about what topics we'll be covering today?
0: Yeah, of course. We'll be going over the lingering effects from the involuntary upgrade program, what's been going on with the ERJ-175 in the background over the last couple months, as well as some future potential negotiation areas, what the MEC officers have been doing the last couple months recent trends and attrition numbers, as well as a recap of our May MEC meeting
1: and the joint working group with the Delta MEC. Very good. All of this and more coming up next on On Air with the Chair. We'll be right back. Okay, Adam, let's jump right into it. The last podcast, we were talking about involuntary upgrades. How has that implementation of the involuntary upgrade LOA been going, and what lingering effects have we been experiencing as a result of that course? So as far as LOA 137 goes, we didn't know quite the
0: direction that the company would be heading with how many involuntary upgrades they would be doing. We had the general idea that they wanted to eventually see all of these qualified first officers end up in the left seat and start providing some PIC time to future aviators at Endeavour. As our pilots out on the line have seen over the last couple weeks, the company chose to go with a faster pacing to their vacancies than we've seen in the past. For anyone who's been at Endeavor for a little while, we have historically have seen a vacancy come out every other month or so, working out to about six times throughout the year. And in each of these vacancies, they try and fill some more captain positions along the way. However, following the clarifications and protections during the involuntary upgrades LOA, We saw the company go with a vacancy notice in early April, as well as a second one in early May. The effect of this was that all of the impacted pilots who had at least the regulatory minimums to be in the left seat found themselves either force upgraded or with a
1: four-year status freeze in the right seat as a first officer. So if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, we went through that whole list pretty quickly. Absolutely.
0: So in effect, we had about 100 pilots or just under that who were qualified to end up in the left seat, and that full pool, so to speak, was gone through in a matter of just two months or two vacancies with the company. Going forward, it's our understanding with the company that pilots should be anticipating when they reach 1,000 hours of qualifying flight time under Part 121-436 that they will be either voluntarily or involuntarily upgrading into the left seat. Now, sometime in the future, this may change as captain staffing writes itself out and the airline is a little bit more stabilized. But in the meantime, we continue to see vacancies
1: in the left seat that are going unfilled. So Adam, if we've already gone through this entire pool of pilots, what does that mean going into the future? If we've truly upgraded as many pilots that are qualified on property right now, what does that mean for our future growth plans at Endeavor? Are we able to grow the seniority list and the flying that we're assigned with our current trajectory? Well, it's definitely going to be a challenge for
0: the airline going forward. As it stands right now, there's no shortage of getting new first officers in the door. In fact, the last information that we've heard is that sometime until spring of 2024, the classes are filled for new FOs starting at Endeavor. The recent challenge that's turned around in the post pandemic world has been retaining those high-time first officers and developing them into captains at
1: Endeavor. So to be clear, we don't have a shortage of pilots. We do have a shortage of captains.
0: That's correct, Derek. So as we see right now with hiring about 40 new first officers a month, but also losing 30 first officers a month, it's tough to grow the airline or get a larger amount of captains flying in the left seat for Endeavor. All in all, this makes it a challenge to add a new fleet type at the airline, such as the ERJ.
1: Well, that's a great segue, Adam. If we're trying to add the ERJ, how does that set the stage for the future of that aircraft that Endeavour?
0: Well, I always tell people, don't believe a rumor until you see it happening. Don't believe an airplane is going to be showing up until you're signing the release paperwork. Uh, because for those of us that have been here a little bit longer, this isn't our first run-through with the ERJ. Funny enough, when I started at Endeavor in the spring of 2018, it was anticipated that the ERJ would be coming on property, so we hired up additional FOs and captains just for that flying to ultimately never develop. So while it's not a surefire thing yet at this point, we're definitely going down a much more likely path than we've
1: seen in the past at Endeavor. So for those of us unfamiliar with the pathway to get an airplane on our certificate, what does that pathway look like? Is it a relatively quick path or is it more involved? Well, it's certainly not a quick timeline
0: adding a new aircraft to our certificate. We're now essentially halfway through 2023, and the company has been working on this in the background for at least the last six months or so. And even from now, there's quite a ways left in the certification timeline. Our first set of pilots are down doing their simulator training, but beyond that, we still need to train our mechanics and in-flight personnel, the books have to be written for and approved for this airplane, as well as all of the safety certifications and the proving runs done with the FAA for this initial cadre.
1: So speaking of initial cadre, how does this certification process play into the current TA proposal?
0: Well, it has been a long time coming even to get to this point in the ERJ process. The company initially approached us in late January or early February to discuss some areas that they had concerns with within the contract as far as being able to establish a cadre of pilots on the new potential ERJ fleet. The company is in a unique position with the ERJ initial cadre in that these pilots are not necessarily being trained up to immediately take over new deliveries of aircraft, either from another air carrier or new from the factory. Instead, this is more of a future-proofing or insurance policy for the airline, where when there's a point in time that they can get some flying from another brand partner inside the Delta Connection portfolio, they would seek to bring those aircraft on property. As it stands now, they don't have a definitive point in time. This could be six or eight months from now, or this could be several years from now. Because of that, the company didn't want to leave this group of pilots in limbo without any set role inside the airline for a long amount of
1: time. Yes, Adam, that clearly shows the established need to establish this tentative agreement. In the past, we've used these needs to solve a lot of problems together at Endeavor. What is in this TA to benefit the pilot group as a whole?
0: When we initially sat down with the company, the company's initial pitch to our MEC was that future proofing and growth would be good for both parties. What's good for the airline is good for the pilot group and is good for the MEC as well. However, with an unknown timeline on when these aircraft might arrive to Endeavor, that future promise doesn't materialize into an immediate benefit for us. In addition, A one-for-one fleet replacement doesn't ensure further jobs, it's not growth at the airline, and it's not an expansion of our fleet guarantee. Because of that, during this negotiating process, we sought to establish an immediate gain for the pilot group. As we assessed varying quality of life items for pilots going through training, one item that we've heard feedback recently from pilots, specifically in long-term training, was for these pilots to be assigned to seat support events rather than progressing within their own training footprint. For example, during a six-on, two-off schedule on a day that a pilot either could have gotten a further lesson or commuted home early to have some more time off, they were instead being used to cover another pilot's seat support lesson. It's our belief instead that these events should either be going to open time or to our FTIs in the training department. You mentioned recent feedback. Is this issue very common? In our conversations with the company, our preference would have been to entirely Do away with seat support for pilots in long term training, as on a given day, up to 30% of seat supports are filled by pilots going through long term training. While we couldn't capture a total removal of seat support for pilots in long term training, we were able to capture on a permanent basis the elimination of long term training pilots sitting seat support for a checking event for another pilot. In addition, for the life of this agreement, we have a pause on pilots sitting seat support during the FTD lessons once they've moved on to the simulator portion of their training. Essentially, once you go on motion, you can't come back off of it. All in all, this should lead to a quicker throughput of dynamic training, as well as an increased flexibility for pilots to return home on their days off during the dynamic training footprint. Of course, once you've already gone through upgrader differences, you're not going to be going through long-term training, potentially again at Endeavour. However, if there's a new fleet type introduced, we would see a large number of pilots going through these long-term training events once again, where this becomes a valuable
1: quality of life item to more pilots at the airline. Great, Adam. So circling back to the initial cadre itself, we do acknowledge that there's a need from the company for changes to the initial cadre language. What specifically does this TA change about the existing process to form an initial cadre? In
0: exchange for those long-term training benefits that we're securing for the pilots, on a temporary basis, we're allowing the company to have more flexibility over what these initial cadre pilots can be utilized for in exchange for the long-term training benefits that we just discussed. Under current book JCBA, after the initial cadre finished their certification flights with the FAA, they would either be returning to their previous positions or helping out through a delivery schedule. However, without a clear delivery schedule for any ERJs to come to Endeavor, the company couldn't assign the pilots to that role, but at the same time, they wanted to keep these initial cadre pilots ready for when the deliveries did begin. Because of that, we came up with language allowing these initial cadre pilots to maintain their currency to the extent required by the FAA on the ERJ while also working in a training department function on the CRJ side. The full TA language, as well as a synopsis from the negotiating committee, was sent out back on June 18th through Negotiations Update 2351.
1: Great. So that's a good summary of some current negotiations. What's the future outlook look like at this time? While nothing is guaranteed, earlier this year, the company made mention
0: that they were looking to work on some language for the third generation of electronic flight bags at Endeavor. It's likely that sometime this summer we'll be sitting down with the company to discuss that further and see what kind of timeline they want to get these devices into pilots' hands. From a general standpoint, for the time being, the company hasn't brought up any other areas that they wanted to address through negotiations. However, the MEC maintains that there's a further need for quality of life improvements and a retention system at Endeavor.
1: So you're talking about retention enhancements, Adam. Does that mean that our current attrition trend has changed relative to this point in the past, last year?
0: Well, the answer to that one would depend on who you ask right now. From a recent company communication, it was stated that attrition numbers have been more favorable than anticipated going into this summer, allowing us to take on some additional flying opportunities within Delta Connection. That's certainly good news for everyone on property. We'd like to see schedules improve across the board, better utilization of first officers with less time on reserve and more time on the line, as well as better quality of life for our junior captains upgrading back into New York and Cincinnati.
1: So let's take opinions out of this. What are the raw numbers for the past couple months at Endeavor? Going back to around this time
0: last year, we've seen the average attrition numbers month over month, anywhere from that low 60s to low 50s range with the exception of February of 2023. However, there's an easy explanation for February being a lower attrition month and that there was one less week. With only 28 days, the major carriers in the US had one less opportunity to onboard pilots. So if you average it out to roughly 12 to 13 pilots per week, that would put February on par with the rest of our
1: attrition months. So far, those numbers sound quite reasonable, Adam. If we're consistently in that range, wouldn't that mean that attrition has stabilized? If you're looking down to the
0: individual pilot, then yes, that number has stayed fairly consistent. However, you also have to look that we're only hiring roughly 40 pilots per month. Of course, there's always the outlier months like September and October last year, where we had a combined 200 pilots go out the door across two months. In May and June of 2022, our pilot group was sitting right around 2,000 pilots, very high 1900s to very low 2000s sitting on the month. Instead, you fast forward now to summer 2023, and instead we're towards the low 1600 range on the pilot list, or a decrease of 350 plus pilots year over year. While we might still be only losing 50 to 60 pilots per month, this is a higher percentage of the overall pilot group. Additionally, while the captain staffing has trended in a better direction due to the involuntary upgrades, we're now seeing more high-time first officers go out the door, which are, of course, our future captains at Endeavour. Where are all these pilots going, Adam? Well, up until May, I could give you a much better idea on where these pilots were going. Uh, Year-to-date, we've seen a lot of pilots going to United Airlines and American Airlines primarily, not counting the flow pilots who are going to Delta. As those 20 pilots are baked in month after month, that's expected attrition, it's the non-Delta carriers that are always a little bit of a surprise to see where pilots are going. However, towards the end of April, we found ourselves in for a much bigger surprise when this information had stopped being shared directly with the association. As everyone looks forward to seeing at the end of the month, we put out a recap through our Friday hotlines as well as on the official MEC Facebook page, the crew room electronic bulletin boards. Recapping what the previous attrition's month was, as well as the carriers that these pilots are going to, and how many pilots were captains versus first officers going out the door. Due to some turnover on the company side, we recently stopped receiving this information. To an extent, we can work backwards through our contract compliance committee and determine the number of captains and first officers who are leaving. However, we're still in the dark as to where these pilots are going once they leave Endeavor. As we've mentioned in a few of our recent Friday hotlines, this is an important plug for the Alpa exit survey. This can be found at alpaorg exit. This allows the pilot to put information on such as their current seat, how long they've been at the airline, what are some important reasons that they're leaving for another carrier, as well as a fill in the blank box that allows the pilot to cover any other information pertinent to their reason for leaving their current air carrier. We view this as a sort of way that a pilot can pay it forward, so to speak, as they're on their way out the door to allow us to keep publishing the information on where our pilots are
1: going and what some of the reasons for leaving Endeavor are. Well, Adam, obviously attrition affects the company out on the line. How have the recent attrition trends affected the association and the MEC as a whole? Well, Derek, in a few words, it has been a
0: challenge. The overall volunteer turnover is something that we've been trying to forecast as best as we can, as we've seen it coming down the pipeline for quite some time now. Dating back to a couple summers ago when the LOA 125 flow first began, we knew we were going to be losing a lot of the senior talent or heavy hitters inside of the MEC over time. Even as we skip ahead to this summer, we still have the projected attrition or the known attrition within our volunteer groups, such as when a committee chair knows that they're going to be flowing in six months or in 10 months. However, you have to add on top of that all of the great opportunities that there are out there in the industry right now for our volunteers to end up at a non-Delta carrier on a little bit quicker of a timeline. This layer of unpredictability does make it a bit tougher to staff our volunteer positions. By no means would we ever turn down a volunteer who has a career aspiration in mind outside of going to Delta. However, the timing of interviews and CJOs right now is so fast that it can lead to a little bit of a whirlwind inside of our committee structures. This has led over the last year or so for us to have a nearly persistent volunteer opening on a lot of committees that we've been advertising throughout our electronic bulletin boards and our Friday MEC hotlines.
1: Well, it certainly was nice being
0: completely staffed for all of three weeks. Yeah, that was a fun and a little bit more quiet time on our emails just recently the other month. Uh, But that trend has again came back to where we're now seeking volunteer positions across a number of committees again. With all the opportunity that is out there right now, we're seeing a lot of pilots who say they would have an interest in volunteering if they stayed and upgraded at Endeavor However, in the meantime, they're focusing on getting their flight time as a means to get on to another carrier sooner or to get into the left seat sooner. As a matter of fact, we have one additional tool now, which we think should help drive some of that volunteerism for someone who doesn't want to lose out on potential flight time right now. You're talking about the stipend day, right? I certainly am, Derek. So back at the May MEC meeting, we passed a resolution creating stipend language inside of the Endeavor MEC policy manual. What this allows is for a volunteer who performs at least eight hours of ALPA work on a day off to receive a payment equivalent
1: to a min day instead of having a comp day for that ALPA work. So what's the difference between receiving a stipend or receiving a comp day? Essentially, a comp day is
0: sort of like when you're BYD'd out on the line. You have somewhere else in the month where you're selecting to have a day of work removed because of the ALPA service you performed elsewhere. On the other hand, this new language for a stipend allows for you to have that same work performed on a day off, but not lose out on a day of flying that you would have otherwise been able to perform. So you're still having some of your volunteer work offset, but instead with a financial incentive than a loss of block time.
1: Oh, so if you're here to build more flight time, this would enable you to more easily volunteer for ALPA instead of using the old comp day policy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Some of the feedback that we've gotten from potential volunteers is that a first officer right now in this hiring environment doesn't want to lose out on that flight time and would rather have some other method of being compensated. On the other hand, our captains are flying quite a bit these days, you could say, and are looking for relief from their schedule and a little bit more time off and would be less likely to utilize the
1: stipend language in our opinion. So a little something for everyone, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. So I guess this is time for yet another shameless plug for us to encourage our members to fill out that oh-so-lovely volunteer interest form. For anyone that tuned into our last live stream on Air with the
0: Chair Live back in the fall, you might remember our vice chair, Peter Ruhlman, and his ASPCA-style plea to get some more volunteers in our ranks at Endeavor. All this hits different coming over the radio and not a live component. I think you can still hear it in Derek's voice that it really would drive some fire in his
1: heart to see some more volunteerism. We want you to fill out an ALPA volunteer interest form. Oh, in addition to volunteering for ALPA, I believe there are vacant positions on various LECs. Absolutely. Currently, we're in the middle of
0: a Minneapolis Council 129 first officer election. And later this year already, we're forecasting a couple other vacancies. In the coming weeks, we should be seeing a Detroit Council 128 First Officer position opening, in addition to a Atlanta Council 127 Captain Rep, as well as Secretary Treasurer position at a minimum. And again, going back to the same hurdles we run into with non-elected volunteers, we can forecast out a fair amount of this movement. But you do never know when someone's going to be leaving for a non-Delta
1: carrier unexpectedly. And this really involves the participation of the entire pilot group, both the volunteers stepping up to say they're willing to serve and us as pilots to cast our vote to give support to who we want representing us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The pilots on the line are the union. You have a pilot who votes in an LEC election that LEC rep not only represents your day-to-day interests or your disciplinary cases through the Section 19 process, but it's those same elected reps who go on to elect the negotiators as well as the MEC officers at this airline. One pilot's vote throughout one of these elected LEC positions can cause a large downline impact on what the shape and makeup of our MEC looks like
1: potentially for years to come. Absolutely. It sounds like it's pretty busy being in a, involved in the MEC as a LEC or MEC rep.
0: Yeah, an elected position certainly isn't for everyone. Uh, we do have pilots who reach out and ask for a little bit more information on what the day to day for these roles look like. But for someone who does want to be involved and be a channel for their pilots at the MEC level, it's a great role with a little bit
1: more responsibility and involvement than some of the volunteer roles. Well, lately, I believe you guys have been quite busy at the MEC level with a variety of activities. What's it been like, boots on the ground, at the MEC level in the past couple months?
0: Towards the end of April, the other MEC officers and I were able to embark out on this series of base visits, and we were able to personally speak face-to-face with nearly 300 pilots out on the line. While this is still lower than the low 1,000 range that our live stream products typically get, There's a lot of value in being able to get out and speak with our pilots face-to-face versus a dart or an email question or a call into those live streams.
1: Not to mention it's a heck of a lot harder to deliver pizza via our live stream. You're exactly right, Derek. With the loss of
0: in-person recurrent ground school, we no longer have that Elpa pizza component, so to speak. And while we can send emojis all day long through internet platforms, It's just not quite the same as when you're running from gate 68 to 96 in LaGuardia with only 20 minutes between flights.
1: Let's admit, it was really fun being able to sell out the pizza stand at LaGuardia. (laughs) Business was booming. Business was a booming at LaGuardia. Absolutely. So what insights did you gain from interacting with the pilots throughout these base visits? In addition to the
0: invaluable FaceTime that we were able to get with our pilots out on the line, We also got feedback on negotiating priorities, directions that pilots would like to see within the MEC, as well as some pilots who wanted to know a bit more information about what volunteering looked like or what the structure of the MEC was like or where they could find a place to fit in. In fact, during our day in LaGuardia, we spoke with just under 100 pilots face-to-face while we were camped out giving out those free slices of pizza. Whether it was the pilots coming in the day before their trip on the way to the crash pad that had close to an hour to kill getting all their questions answered, or that crew running from gate to gate who just had a a moment to grab a slice on the run, ask a quick question, and grab a lanyard on their way out the door. It provided us an opportunity that we haven't been able to take advantage of since really one of our last series of roadshows a couple years ago when the flow was being developed. This is something we'd like to see continue in the future, albeit on a smaller scale than hitting every domicile across the period of about a week and a half. With the New York-centric operation that we run at Endeavour, it's likely in the future that we would spend a couple days in New York or a couple days down in Atlanta, where we saw most of our pilots transient through over those period of days. On the initial run, we didn't want to leave any base unvisited or any stone unturned, However, on a pilot-for-pilot pilot basis, we saw four- or five-fold in New York compared to some other
1: domiciles. Absolutely. We do spe- seem to be spending an awful lot of time in New York these days, but the MEC was spending uh, some time a lot further west. Can you elaborate a little more about what took place at our MEC meeting in Tempe, Arizona in May?
0: Yeah, of course. In addition to the usual business that we cover over the course of an MEC meeting, such as reports from the MEC officers and negotiators, guest speakers from our committee volunteers and committee chairs, we had the recurring opportunity to sit down with Endeavor Management and ask them questions from out on the line as well. In addition to the regular business that we cover at every MEC meeting, we had a unique opportunity at the May MEC meeting to also meet in two joint sessions with the Delta MEC. Following our meeting back in October, both MECs passed another joint resolution coming out of
1: closed session at this meeting. Wait a minute, another joint resolution, Adam? So are those two resolutions the same? I wouldn't say the same, but I would say
0: similar and being built upon. So in this latest joint resolution, the MECs also established a communications protocol between the two groups, as well as a working group between the two MECs to further explore bringing the pilots and aircraft at Endeavour onto the mainline certificate.
1: All Delta passengers flown by Delta pilots. Oh, I see now. So the first resolution was a show of mutual support, and this expands upon it to sort of put some steps forth to expand that relationship into the future.
0: Precisely. The second resolution establishes a clearer path forward on what the relationship between the MECs will look like, in addition to providing some directive to the working group, as well as for them to provide reports to each of the two
1: MECs at their fall regularly scheduled MEC meetings. Great, Adam. So, Part of this resolution is establishing that joint working group. What exactly does that working group look like and, or, and, and who makes up that working group? Currently, this working group is comprised of four
0: members from within the Delta MEC as well as four members from within the Endeavor MEC. The members that were selected from each side for this working group are either negotiators, MEC members, or subject matter experts who would bring value to a cooperative relationship in being able to further the goals outlined in this joint resolution. As we referenced in our recent hotline, 23-50, the working group held its first meeting towards the beginning of June, where in-person introductions as well as a high-level discussion took place. I unfortunately can't get into too much detail over what's been covered between the joint working group However, we have been committed to continuing to work throughout the summer and present our findings later this year to each MEC.
1: Absolutely, Adam. I'm very excited to hear whatever updates come from this joint working group. And of course, we'll be eager to report the findings uh, to the pilot group via our normal communications channels. So I'm very excited to hear more from you in the future about that. So continuing on, there were some other resolutions that resulted from our meeting. This one was not from the joint session. Uh, we passed a resolution at the May MEC meeting about Flickabots. Do you have any updates about how that process went and what your findings are?
0: Yeah, so this resolution originated through the Atlanta Council. Their membership was in favor of the MEC looking further into the potential issue of inappropriate Flicka use, which then made its way to the MEC meeting and was voted as a resolution at that point in time. Since that time, we have not only brought this concern forward to the company who's done their own independent research into the issue of potential FLCA misuse, but we've also solicited reports from pilots on the line to the Contract Compliance Committee as well as the ProStans Committee if they believe there is someone having an unfair advantage towards picking up open time. On the company side, they've since reached out to the team that runs Flicka, bringing our concerns forward and trying to see if there would be any inappropriate use on their servers from an Endeavor pilot. As of the other week, what the company has told us is that there was one outlying case of a high volume of logins throughout the month, And other than that, they didn't detect any unusual usage among Endeavor pilots on the Flicka platform. This corroborates with what we've seen through the Contract Compliance Committee and ProStance Committee of other unusual instances of Flicka activity having some other explanation in the long run. One such example that we've run into is when a pilot has more than six days in a row of long call reserve in their month, and elsewhere they go on to add open time from the pot. What CrewTrack and Flicka sees is that there's a duty conflict from not having a 30-hour rest in a 168 period elsewhere in the month, and it freezes this pilot's schedule until a scheduler can manually unlock it. This results in the pilot missing out on an open time trip that potentially could have gone to them otherwise, even if they might have been first to adding that request. Through the foldering process with Flicka, a pilot from another domicile is then able to grab that trip while the long-call pilot's schedule is still frozen. On the surface value, this might seem like someone is using an unfair advantage to add a trip that another pilot might've been able to get. However, for one reason or another, there has been an explanation for all of these anomalies that have been reported from the pilot group to date anyway. While I don't think anyone on the MEC wants to say outright that it's impossible that someone could be finding an unfair advantage online, To date, we have not had evidence presented of a pilot utilizing that advantage, or bot, so to speak. If this is something that the MEC encounters down the line, we'll need to interface with the company on how this should be processed or handled going forward. While the MEC wouldn't ever advocate for a pilot receiving discipline, we don't support or condone a pilot seeking out an unfair advantage over another pilot in adding open time.
1: So in conclusion, we have not found any evidence to date of the Flickabots. However, you will continue to be vigilant for that going into the future. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think it's in everyone's best interest that there's a level playing
0: field and there's not advantages that pilots are utilizing to add additional open time
1: unfairly. Yeah, Adam, it sounds like that covers pretty much all of what's been happening over the past several months. Do you have anything else to add? Really, the only thing would be just one more plug for any questions that you might have for a future podcast topic.
0: We ask that pilots submit these to edv on air at elpa.org. And as always, we look forward to some future topic submissions. Well, thanks for sitting down with me today, Derek. I'm uh, still getting my feet a little bit wet on doing the podcasts after taking over for Nick but it's been fun working through these and getting a little bit more comfortable hopping behind the microphone.
1: Absolutely, Adam. It's always a pleasure to record another podcast and I'm looking forward to the next time that we create one for the pilot group, maybe even an on-air with the chair live.
0: Yeah, we'll see how the summer schedule pans out and look to do at least one, if not maybe two more later on in 2023. That brings us to the end of today's episode. As always, fly safe, be safe, and we'll see you out on the line. Thanks, everyone. 28